0: Good morning friends, Um, please join me as we read God's word from Isaiah 52 verse 13 this morning. See, my servant will be successful, he will be raised and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were appalled at you, his appearance was so disfigured that he did not look like a man and his form did not resemble a human being. So he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths because of him, for they will see what had not been told them, and they will understand what they had not heard. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him. No appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. But he was a rich man at his death, because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, he will see his seed. He will prolong his days and by his hand the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. After his anguish he will see light and be satisfied. By his knowledge my righteous servant will justify many, and he will carry their iniquities. Therefore I I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mighty as spoil. Because he willingly submitted to death, and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many, and interceded for the rebels.
1: Thank you for that reading, Daniel. Uh, Do you know that that reading has been forbidden... It has been cancelled for thousands of years by many people in our world. Uh, In a modern Jewish synagogue, you would not hear that reading read out. It's not part of their reading through the Tanakh, through um, God's Word. It's forbidden. Uh, And I found this incredible video of a man who simply reads through this part of God's Word with people who have grown up uh, Jewish. And there's a couple of pictures here of their faces and a few of the words that they're going to say. Uh, You can actually watch this entire video. It's a bit too long for this intro, but just through the QR code. So if you want to a bit later today, it's a great encouragement. Uh, Yeah, definitely pretty much got me to tears uh, seeing these people um, respond to this man. So if we go back to that first slide, um, yeah, this part of God's word, Isaiah 53, has been forbidden. They wouldn't have heard about it. So this man, he says, have you ever read this passage? And all of these Jewish people say, no, I've never heard about it. And he goes through all the prophecies of the Messiah. He lists them out, those that can be found in this passage and the rest of God's Word as well. And he gets to this point where he asks these people, do you know anyone who could fulfill what I just said, you know, someone who's born in Bethlehem, someone born of a virgin? Ah, Do you know anyone who could fulfill that? And the majority said, no, I don't know. Do you know somebody? Could you tell me? They wanted to know. They were curious. But then by the end of the video, two of the guys said, after they'd read through Isaiah, after they have seen that he is the rejected one, the despised one, they said, Yeshua, that's Jesus. (laughs) That is clearly Jesus who's being prophesied in the pages of Scripture so long ago. And one of the guys, you can see there this man that I've got a few photos of, He just realises that all of his life, as soon as the word Jesus has come up, or Yeshua, that no one's willing to even go there. No one's even willing to consider Jesus as the Messiah. He's just been cancelled. And he had this moment of thinking through, I I need to investigate this. If this is what God's word says, I need to look into this. And what an encouragement that is. I I pray for these people that they might see that this is God's servant the Messiah, our Saviour. And that's what we got the pleasure of thinking about this morning, spending time really focusing in on Christ. This brutal description of a suffering servant, of a man who went through to death. And it has been cancelled in Jewish synagogues. And for many people here in Australia, maybe many atheists or people who follow other religions, They may have never read this passage either. They might not be very aware that God has sent His Son to save the world. Even today, you may not have heard of that. And I think it's such a shame that so many people have had Christ hidden from them like this. Isaiah 53, it is this incredible part of God's Word, isn't it? It is so clear. There is just so much richness in its words. Here is what a few people have said about this chapter. Kyle Yates, the Mount Everest of Old Testament prophecy. Or Spurgeon, a Bible in miniature, the gospel in its essence. It looks as if it had been written beneath the cross upon Golgotha. It's so true. There is so much in this one passage. But for many reasons it's been forbidden. Particularly because of its gospel clarity. It is the gospel in miniature. And some people, they must think it's just implausible that a king and a saviour would be weak, like he's described in this passage, that he would be the suffering servant. It seems like a contradiction too difficult to wrestle with, to make sense of. But today, I hope that we will see that God's power and love are declared in unlikely hero. This incredible prophecy declares the power and love of God on the cross of Christ. It might be that you're new with us today or you haven't, quite been with us in this mini-series in Isaiah. Uh, This is an Advent series that we're going through in the lead-up to Christmas, and that means that we're looking at some of the prophecies, some of the parts of Isaiah which long for salvation, which Jesus brings. We've been looking at some of these prophecies, even last week we looked at chapter 40, Uh, Cole reminded us of the comfort which is promised to his people, which Israel were longing for They were longing for the promised one who would bring restoration and the comfort that they were yearning for in the midst of their darkness, in the midst of their rebellion, their idolatry. And ultimately, God's people were holding out hope. They were longing to place their confidence in somebody who was sure. And just like them, we face similar challenges. We need to work out who we place our hope in who we put our confidence in. And many of us here might still be waiting to make that call. Maybe you still haven't decided about Jesus. And I hope that today we're overwhelmed with thanks as we spend time considering what he's done for us, the servant who went through unimaginable pain for us. So our first point for today, God's power is declared in an unlikely hero. God's power is shown in the cross of the misunderstood servant. We're introduced to this person in verse 13. It, we're told that my servant will be successful. And the title of servant, it's one that comes up a number of times in the Old Testament, particularly in, uh, in Isaiah. We're told of this individual who is God's perfect one. And there are a number of four or five Servant songs that you can read through in the book of Isaiah. They all prophesy about this special one who would help God's people, both Jews and Gentiles, help the world. These songs are an amazing picture of the character of God and the ministry of Jesus as well. And we can understand how God has been revealed, has revealed his power in Christ by slowing down today, by reflecting on this Passion of Christ, his submission and his rejection. We can understand how it's actually a beautiful picture of God's glory. In verse 1 of chapter 53, Isaiah questions, To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He asks, Who has seen the power of God? That's what that statement is referring to. You know, imagine the big biceps of God. That's what it's referring to. He wonders, who has understood or believed in the power of God? Who has seen Jesus, the Exalted One? And we're also told in verse 15 that kings will shut their mouths because of him. And what an image of Jesus with all authority, that kings will bow down, kings will be in submission to Christ. Every king will be made small in comparison to him. And in his presence, all kings will be silent. They'll be unable to get even a word out in the sight of the king of kings. And in verse 13, the power of God is seen in the servant by his success. He will achieve what God has set out for him to do. He's no failure. And because of his success, we're told that he will be raised up and lifted up and greatly exalted Jesus, he is superior. He is above all else. So, how has God revealed his power in the world? How has Jesus been successful? How has he shown his power in this world, his strength? How has he shut the mouths of kings? Well, it is truly shocking. This passage might be familiar for many of us here, but it is shocking, this idea of Jesus going through this kind of pain even as the most powerful being in this world. He was despised. He was rejected. He was a man of suffering. We didn't value him. He was pierced and crushed, oppressed, and yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, he was killed, even though he was innocent. And throughout this passage, we're told that he'd be misunderstood in his ministry. People won't easily recognize his power. You can see this in verse 2 of chapter 53 if you're following along. Uh, I do suggest that you can follow along with me today. There'll be lots of different references come up there. Uh, Verse 2, it describes how Jesus grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He looked like everyone else. He he didn't scream Messiah when you saw him. He was really unimpressive unassuming in appearance. He was able to give up his own power though for his ministry here on earth. He was unlike any of us. He came in weakness and humility. He was glad to seem weak even though he is so strong. And people totally missed what he was all about. They missed the Lord of glory in their presence. Verse 3, it says, He was like someone... People turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Or verse 4. We in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. They thought he was cursed by God, that he was a lost cause, that he was some kind of failure and God must be angry with Jesus. Yet we're told clearly that he was innocent, he was this righteous servant who pleased the Father. Far from being cursed by God, he was being exalted in his death. For in his death, he was bringing salvation to a weary world. The power of God couldn't be seen in his appearance, in what he looked like as the servant, but in what he came to accomplish. His death, his resurrection. And I'll speak now of his suffering, of his death, and I'll refer to that as his passion. You might have heard of that phrase before. We're told about the passion of Jesus, his suffering and his death, which begins in verse 3 by being despised and rejected, it tells us. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. In his life, there were many who mocked him and fought against him, convinced that he was the one in error. Think of the Pharisees. Think of the many people who came up against him. Even to this day, there are many in our world, even of his own people, the Jews, who continue to reject the Messiah. And we all know that sting of rejection, right? Jesus, he felt it even to the point of being personally despised and told that he was cursed by God. He was unfairly rejected. He was innocent, yet he endured the crowds all turning on him. So how does Jesus show us the power of God in his His rejection? How does Jesus show us his power in his rejection? Well, he shows us his power through his submission to his Father. As Jesus was rejected, we see his faithfulness to his Father, the, the power of Jesus' obedience. He didn't give up or give up hope. He didn't give up on that plan of salvation. Though he was hated and mocked, he remained faithful to his his father and never once gave up. And his suffering was essential for God's grand plan of salvation. Jesus could have decided not to go through with it. He didn't deserve a death like his. Yet here in verse 7 we're reminded that he did die like a lamb to the slaughter. Yet he wasn't like a lamb from the Old Testament, right? Jesus willingly offered up his own body. And verse 10 speaks of his death as this offering to God and for us. It was just as much the will of the Son as it was the Father. It tells us, verse 12, He willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels. It takes incredible power to give up something which is your right. Incredible power to give up something that is your right for the good of others. Yet Jesus, he was in cooperation with the Father in this grand plan of salvation. And we see this display of God's character, his immense love, his justice, and yes, even his power his power to overcome evil. And Jesus, he also shows us his own power by the way he restrains from retaliating against those who opposed him and despised him. He doesn't become vindictive or petty. He doesn't blow up in anger at their rejection. He didn't snap back, but in faithfulness, he was was silent. And it takes great power to withhold yourself from a fight. I think we can all understand that, right? To have such self-control when you've been wronged. And so far this morning, we've considered how the cross of Jesus, it displays God's power. And now for the rest of today, we'll think about how it displays God's love as well, there and the cross of Christ. See, Jesus' death It displays the love of God in this stunning way, the extent of his compassion for us to the point of giving up his own life. And his act of submitting himself to death, it wasn't pointless. It did provide a way for us to have peace with God again. And God's character of love and mercy, that was what compelled him to to find this way of forgiveness, to have this plan where Jesus would die for the sins of many. So we'll consider the death of this servant and how that can bring salvation to anyone who trusts in him. We'll think of the penalty which he bore for us. And throughout this passage, we're told that Jesus was taking the penalty that we deserved for sin. Firstly, we're told that Jesus was not sinful himself. It's very clear about that in verse 9. He had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. So he shouldn't have been punished for anything. He was perfect without blemish. And yet, verse 5, the prophecy tells us, he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities, punishment for our peace was on him. And the Lord had punished him for the the iniquity of us all i'm sure there's probably a a song that's going through your mind at the moment thank you for your restraint this morning and the rebellion in verse 5 it's explained all throughout this chapter about our rebellion against god that we're like lost sheep That we're going off against him We're following our own thoughts, our own desires, and we don't listen to God. We don't follow Him. The Bible calls this sin or iniquity in this passage. And Israel, they continuously rebelled against God. God sent prophet after prophet, and they continually rejected them. They decided to follow their own way and to follow after all kinds of idolatries and sin. And Romans 5 verse 6 tells us that we're just like them. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. The Bible teaches that we are all the ungodly. We have all fallen short and gone astray. And without Jesus, we're without hope and lost in this world. But here we see God's love poured out for us, even though we're like those... Dumb, lost sheep trying to go our own way. But we have this shepherd, this guide for us, our saviour who can deal with our problem of sin. And it was because of our own personal rebellion against God that Jesus came as this servant. We read in verse 8 that part of this punishment which Jesus endured was being cut off from the land of the living. See, this servant of God will die for others. And he suffered like this because of our sin, my sin, your sin. Jesus' death, it made a way for all of us to not be punished for our sin, to have it dealt with and for us not to be cut off, for us to remain and to live See, out of God's love, out of his compassion, he sent a rescuer to endure that punishment for us. He took our our penalty and in the same moment, he gives us his righteousness, his right standing before God. Jesus, he's our substitute. You might have been watching a lot of World Cup at the moment. Um, Jesus, he's our substitute. He has swapped in our place. He's taken the punishment we deserve and given us his right standing with God. See, we receive the life that we don't deserve. And you can see this in verse 5. There's so much in this passage. It's all there for us. It says, punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We're both physically and spiritually healed by Jesus, by the wounds of Jesus. But this is a promise to us that's not in its entirety now, right? We still get sick. We still are not perfectly well in this world. Just as we can say as Christians that we are saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. We are healed, we're being healed, and we will ultimately be healed in one day. And God's ultimate healing, it's called resurrection. That new life, that new body that will not have any ailments, any sickness... And it's a glorious promise for all those who hope in Jesus. Jesus, he took our punishment, which we should have received. And in this way, God, he remained just. He still punished sin. It's not like he forgot about the sin in the world. He takes our place. And this swap, it's already taken place. See, all of us, we, requir- we, re- sorry. <laughs> we required this perfect substitute. That's the only way that forgiveness could come to us. Just imagine if someone else, a simple human, died in our place. It would have had this effect for us. It would have no ability to make us clean before God. It couldn't make us right in God's eyes. But if a perfect person who has always obeyed the Father, He died in our place, then He can offer us what we desperately need, that right standing, that clean slate before God. He can offer us that perfection and we can be made right in God's eyes. And we see how it was God's love which led to the cross. You can see this in the New Testament as well. Romans 5, 8, it says, God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It was the love of God at the foundation of the cross. I hope as you scan over this passage for today, you're experiencing some of that warmth from God, that love from God. And Yet, even this day, as you sit here, if you're struggling in this way to feel his closeness, his love, I would encourage you to continue to cast your eyes to the cross where we can know for certain that God does love us through and through. Our feelings are fleeting, right? They go up and down. Our emotions often lie to us. They're not our ultimate guide, but we can cast our eyes to the historical reality of Jesus' death and his resurrection and remember that he does love us. That is unchanging, And not only does Jesus take on our sin, but he also gives us his life, his salvation, free of charge. See, this prophecy, it says that his suffering won't be for eternity. Even in Isaiah 53, it says that there will be a limit to the suffering of the servant. He will have relief and joy and satisfaction. You can see that in verse 10 to 11. He'll see his seed. He will prolong his days After his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. See, in these verses, it doesn't mention resurrection, right? But the servant, he's already been cut off from the land of the living so far, and he's somehow seeing the light, and he is satisfied, and he's prolonging his days. And I don't know about you, but I struggle to imagine another interpretation for that. It seems like he, in this passage, is coming back to life after his gruesome death. And it's an incredible prophecy of the resurrection of Jesus that he'll prolong his days after his anguish. Now for this morning, there's one final way we can see God's love at the heart of Jesus' suffering. And it's the result that it has for us. We thought a little bit about this. We've considered how he takes his, our penalty, he swaps in our place. We have this right standing before God. But what is, what's the ultimate reality of this, the ultimate consequence? Well, it's peace with God. That's what comes through this passage again and again. Uh, this is where the passage started. In chapter 52, verse 7, it says, "...how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the herald who proclaims peace." who brings news of good things, who proclaims salvation. And this was what Israel were longing for. At the time that Isaiah wrote, there was all kinds of darkness in that community, all kinds of idolatry and rebellion against God, all kinds of enemies coming to attack them. They hoped for this peace, for this restored relationship with their God, their provider, their helper. And in Christ, this peace has come. Verse 5, it says, Punishment for our peace was on Him. And we're healed by His wounds. See, we don't have to fear God. We don't have to avoid Him or work for His approval. He freely offers this peace to us. And we have a foretaste of this eternal peace now by the Spirit. Jesus promised in His ministry that He was bringing peace to he taught us in John 14, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. How incredible is that? God doesn't want our hearts to be troubled and in fear. But our hope is in something secure. We can be confident of the comfort we'll have in Christ for all of eternity. And this prophecy of Jesus, it has been fulfilled. He's suffered, he's poured himself out so that we can have this right relationship, this peace with God, and so that we can give thanks to him. And that's what Colossians 3, it reminds us, it encourages us to do. It says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful so I wonder for you this morning, what is ruling your heart? What's ruling our hearts at the moment? And Maybe it's the distractions of the world. You're not really sure. There's multiple things that are ruling your heart. Maybe it's the stress and the troubles of this world. Now that we're back to a normal kind of year and we've kind of got to come up with a whole new capacity and realize what we uh, normally did every other year, it produces all kinds of stress, doesn't it? You might be caught up with making this holiday the best one yet or just simply lasting to the summer holidays. But today we've seen that our servant, Jesus, came so that we might have peace and that might be our reality, that we might let peace rule our hearts. We might experience this right, this good, this lovely relationship with our God. So let's pray now that this peace would rule our hearts. Please join me. Our dear Father, you know our hearts. You know how easily we're led astray. We are sheep. We confess this before you, knowing that you are a God who, out of your love, out of your justice, you sent Jesus, and he has dealt with our sin, and you have brought peace through him. We thank you, Father. Do help us this Christmas to reflect on the peace which Jesus brings. And might that rule our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, our desires and dreams. Help us not to be distracted by this world or weighed down by the many troubles that are here. And help us to remember the peace we have in Christ. And we are so thankful for his willing submission, the way he took on the rejection of this world. And we thank you that by him we can be made right. And it's in his
0: name we pray. Amen.